Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the primal the mammoth and board, man was the lord of the earth. He made him an oil skin from the heart of a holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for hire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the lord of the Well, 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 welcome to episode 82 of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, and you are very welcome, or at least kind of welcome, as we fast approach the 100 episodes of season one. Season one still until, as I said, the emergency is over, so it's going to be season one for probably as long as my mental state holds out and I am able to do this. So, let's do it. Is it a bit of a fudge, as they say? Yes, I am from the 1950s to ask some questions on Instagram and then make a podcast out of it. There is also a podcast I have made, which is looking back over the last 20, 21 months um, about a few of the things that I said that have or have not come true. There's a part one, which is a few episodes ago. Maybe check it out. Um, I put that episode on the long finger. I'm going to give it a couple more weeks because I have a feeling that the opening of society, for example, our Freedom Day um, that we had here in Dublin is going to take a couple of weeks for the repercussions to sift through society before the saber-rattling ghouls of our unelected health service Stasi decide that we may move back to some form of circuit-breaking restrictions, or maybe not. So let's wait and see if that happens, because um, that may inform some of the other things that I was talking about. And, you know, although that podcast, which I've put on the long finger, mainly discusses media 
behavior, media complicit behavior. This is a complicated word to say. Complicitly, is that the word? Well, whatever the word is. Coercion, you one could call it. Or the fact that once upon a time, journalists saw themselves as outside the tent, pissing in, holding power to account. But that would seem to have changed. They are now inside the tent, holding up the structures of power, pissing out on Well, let's call them the working class, because class, I think, is still one of the most important words that one can use today to describe the situation that we are in. The pajama class who are able to stay at home and work fail to understand the politics of the working class they despise so much, etc., etc. That was a heavy sentence, wasn't it? Well, that's what that podcast is particularly about. So you might going to have to wait. You might going to have to wait. You maybe are going to have to wait Um, a few weeks for that as some more dust settles or whatever way you want to say it. So you can follow me on nemtianga underscore primordial over on Instagram. Um, We are reaching an army of 10,000, 10,000 strong. I thank you very much for following my idiocy and stupidity. Um, Primordial has now an official Instagram page. Yes, I am aware that it took a long time to get in the game. Um, And it was just another extra thing for me to do, to be honest. And the thought of more unpaid work, as they say, um, just filled me with an existential dread. But here we are. So it would be very helpful if you went over there and followed Primordial underscore official. There's some cool old photos and old flyers. Um, It's not slick and professional. It's not um, hyper based on selling you merch or anything else. There's just some curious old photos and stuff like that. Okay, go and have a look. The show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. You can use the promo code AAPODCAST to go over there and get 10% off. If you were in North America, you need that new Cannibal Corpse album, don't you? Yeah, you know you do. Right. And Eisenwald Records, post-black metal, pagan metal, whatever you want to call it, www.eisenton.de in Europe and .com in North America. Go over there and use the promo code AAPODCAST and you can get free shipping. Go and take a look at some of the cool bands they have because they do actually have a lot of cool bands. Right then. So what I did was um, I put out a few questions on the gram, the Instagram, and said, um, you know, let's maybe make the next podcast or two a little bit of a Q&A or something that can spike my grey matter. Could it be that I just felt a little bit uninspired and was just busy staring out the window at the rather heavy monsoon winter Irish rain that was teeming down and thought, God damn it, what am I going to do my podcast about? Of course, I'm recording this before tomorrow's podcast with H.P. Lovecraft dropped, so I'm interested to see what the reaction will be to that. It's not really a discussion or What am I talking about? I'm telling you what it will be after you may have listened to it. Right. Okay. Break your brain around that, etc. Come on, Averill. Sort yourself out and get your timeline correct. Yes. Well, I guess I'll see in the comments and the observations what you all thought of the HP Lovecraft podcast. I'm going to do more of those where I get a bit more into um, characters from history. It's something that I... I guess, uh, neglected to do. But there you go, H.P. Lovecraft. So, let me put my reading glasses on and examine the questions from Instagram. Like I said, this is a bit of a Q&A podcast. Um, and some of the questions are pretty serious, and we'll get serious answers, and some are not. So, if you hear your name, well, cheers for 
answering the call and asking me a question. Thank you for your patronage or whatever it is they say in the 16th century. Han from Anti-Life. What a curious name. Do you plan some other collaborations like with The Nest at this year's Roadburn? Um, well, the plan... Um, the plan of the collaboration with The Nest was really The Nest's plan, not exactly mine. That would, came from um, the tour Dread Sovereign did with Saturnalia Temple and obviously Wolven Nest, um, where we opened that tour and became good friends with all of those people. Of course, we knew Saturnalia Temple from before. But um, Wolven Nest, I suppose there's a, re- uh, a kind of um, pragmatism to their involvement in um, this year's Roadburn. And that was, of course, that they're from the country next to Roadburn. And seeing as Tommy from Saturnalia Temple and myself were the only people to fly in to take part, as I understood, in this year's Roadburn. In fact, we traveled further than anyone to take part in this year's Roadburn um, to support Roadburn. Um, It was a pragmatic decision, I think, on behalf of um, the band and the festival to have bands from the lowlands areas or surrounding areas who didn't have to travel too far in the middle of a global emergency and of a pandemic-y situation, etc. So they, of course, played on the Sunday and Wolverness played on the Saturday. Now, I did a podcast about the experience of traveling um, and taking part in that. And the truth is that I suppose every month Someone somewhere asks me to sing on something or take part in something or would you lend your vocals to this? I suppose um, that's what happens when you are a clean singer, I suppose, in in the sense in that you're using clean uh, vocals in a scene or have come from a scene that is predominantly, as you say, black metal or harsh vocals. And um, I'm not going to say whether that's... Um, I'm not going to comment on the... Uh, on the strength of those vocals or not. But what happens is that because you have you become quite marked out, people write songs and they go, ah, oh, I wonder if that voice would fit on this and you seem to fit that mould. So I end up getting asked an awful lot by people to take part in things. Um, and so every month or two, whether it's, um, I suppose, some demo band who ask me or, um, or friends who ask me, and of course in the past I've done vocals with Marduk I've done most recently Me and That Man and Rome and those are collaborations that uh, I suppose were created by other people and then I was asked to take part Um, as for me writing the music and asking other people to take part I suppose you could look at Dread Sovereign a little bit like that I suppose we could look at um, the electronic project I did with my cousin um, even that was a sort of mutual creation or something like that. Um, but I think it's very important as a musician to try and stretch yourself, to try and work with other people, to be challenged by other people's ideas. Um, for example, in April Men, you're, 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 um, the vocals, if you haven't checked it out, go and check out, just put in April Men. Um, for example, when singing in that, you aren't singing against a wall of guitar. So the dynamic range in that music is so completely, um, it's so completely different. And so um, it has an awful lot of other textures and dynamics you have to try and employ with the voice. Um, Same with me and that man and same with Rome. You find yourself singing over um, much 
uh, quieter music, essentially, I suppose, because it's acoustic or electronic. And that's a whole different set of skills to try and learn because you're used to kind of bellowing sometimes in the kind of in the Dickinson, the Dickinson 83 mold, because you have to be heard over a wall of frequencies. And so therefore it changes the game a bit. Um, but I am always planning something. I'm always plotting something. I think it's very important to um, not stand still, to always keep moving, to keep doing something else. As long as you have the energy and the, the um, I suppose, the level is high. I don't really want to take part in something that's just sort of half-hearted and go, ah, pff, you know, here's a, here's a verse of a vocal. You have to sort of put everything into it. But I also don't want to be the guy who appears on every other record every time there's a clean vocal. So it's a rather um, difficult line to walk sometimes to know which to take part in or not to take part in but certainly the collaboration with Wolvenest was something that it was entirely self-evident as soon as um, I was asked and as soon as I heard the song that was written with my singing in mind I went yep of course no I'm in I'm in with this and then of course I talked to Tommy from Saturnalia Temple who you should all go and check out by the way Um, and I said man we have to travel to this we have to make a point about going a bit of a statement and so that's how the whole thing took shape. And then you rehearse in Belgium. And what a feeling that was after a year off or a year and a more off, which felt like 10 years, to be back in a room with creative people. And that's really what you want to do. I suppose the moment where you step out from being a hobbyist to a musician is a very important um, internal uh, decision-making process where you decide one day, you know what, I'm a musician. And that's what I'm going to put when I fill in those uh, silly forms when I enter one country into the next and I go and it says profession. Um, uh, you know, which once upon a time I would have been, um, uh, I don't know, shit talker, hobbyist, pirate, whatever you want, um, vagrant, whatever. Um, now I put musician. Um, OK, it can be a poorly paid profession, of course, but a profession nonetheless. So there's always something happening. And I always have some kind of plan for something in the back of my head. Somewhere is a plan to make a kind of really stripped down, acoustic-y sort of vocal-based record, um, but which I might try and record at some stage next year. Who knows? I don't know if the world really needs that. I know that many people said, oh, the pandemic is going to inspire lots of people to make lots more music. And I thought, is that really a good thing when you pick up a metal magazine and you see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of releases every month and there doesn't seem to be any slowing of the process? I thought maybe it's a better time to take stock, to take a bit of reflection on what music you were making uh, rather than um, every metal musician churning out a neo-folk album and an Americana album and here's my this album and here's my that album. I don't know. Uh, but I understand the need, the will, the necessity to keep moving so you're walking some kind of creative tightrope, I think. But as long as you have energy to do it, I think that, um, well, why not? It's a short spin around this mortal coil, as they say, before you shuffle off this earth. So why not try and leave as much of a creative mark as you can, is my sort of, um, my sort of idea about how to approach all of it. Grind your mind, 77, grind, grind or grindy our mind, maybe, which is it? Any chance of other members on for a chat? I fully understand it's not the Primordial Podcast. Well, this is something that I did allude to briefly when I was discussing, um, you know, the band stepping down 
um, from um, Steelfest, for example, I briefly alluded to. I didn't. We didn't. The band. We agreed that there was no statement. The band did not discuss it, etc. And people were a bit nonplussed. And the the truth is that um, band decisions are a democracy of five people, which take into account all of those five decisions. Agitators Anonymous is my podcast. It's my waffling. It's my talking. It's my debating. Um, it's not the primordial podcast, and there must be a separation between those two things. It's not the mouthpiece or the the sort of um, COVID promo for Primordial. It's not the thing that I do to keep the band in the spotlight, if that can really be the word for it, um, during the pandemic or whatever you want to call it. It's uh, um, a personal necessity, I guess. It's a way of me personally exercising my demons or dealing with ideas or putting out... Um, you know, just putting out thoughts into the into the ether for, or for all the people who deem it worthy of listening to or whatever you want to call it. There is a division and that division is um, Agitators Anonymous is me and it is not the primordial podcast. So as long as you un- uh, make that division in your mind and don't hold primordial personally responsible for maybe a view that I hold that you find you think to yourself, I disagree with that. Um, as you may find, there are some that you disagree with in the fullness of this podcast. Um, make the division that I don't speak for primordial, nor um, have I ever said that I was during this podcast. So, um, yeah, that's an important division. And I think that that's a, a good prompt question to answer that fundamentally, that if the band decides, no, that's not ours to discuss. Well, then I don't you know, discuss it on their behalf, so to speak, even though it may seem that I am doing that right now. Any chance of the other members on for a chat? I mean, there is and there isn't. Um, if you've ever seen video interviews and they are rare with the other members of Primordial, it's not really their thing. They aren't really um, into that. Kieran does a few, maybe he, I can get him on sometime. But, you know... Um, People are busy. They have different responsibilities in life. I just happen to be a fancy Dan man of leisure who has the time to answer your questions on the Instagram. Whereas Kieran, as a hardworking uh, chap, doesn't. But maybe, maybe. It would make sense that now this year being the 30th anniversary of the band, since we started out as um, we baby teenagers with baby faces full of hopes and dreams. That's a strange sentence, isn't it? Um, that I should get some of them on. But, you know, trying to organise that can be greeted with a uh, shrug of the shoulders. And why not? Because there are other things to be doing with your life. Who would play you in Nemthianga the movie from Darkside Dublin? Oh, hmm, there's a smart arse of a question. Um... Who would play me? I've always fancied myself as a bit of a thespian. Maybe maybe it's not too late for me to do it, is it? I mean, am I that far removed from my teenage years? Who would play me in Nemthanger the movie? Can I pick someone from history? I'd like an Oliver Reed or a Richard Burton or something. One of those burly old back-of-the-hand-to-nonsense kind of actors from the 1950s, 60s or 70s. Um, that would be my choice. A hard-drinking, womanizing, sex, drugs, and rock and rolling kind of um, thespian who's also able to handle the roles of the Shakespeare's and Hamlet's, while also drinking thirty pints of lager and showing the back of his hand to all those who disagree with him. Blah blah blah. 
I don't know. Um, yeah, can I pick Richard Burton? I think he'd be perfect. Or I suppose any ginger actor from the 1980s who disappeared um, out of view. There was quite a few ginger actors in the 80s, wasn't there? Um, but they kind of disappeared off the radar, didn't they, really? They're not in vogue anymore. So seeing as I feel part of a um, victimized class, the gingers, I would like to see um, some sort of up-and-coming famous young ginger take the role on of my life. So I suppose in theory that would have to be one of the Gleasons, wouldn't it? There seems to be about three Gleason brothers who all seem to be um, condemned with the ginger gene who are acting... Um, across Hollywood every time Hollywood needs an anemic looking young ginger pale faced Irish or Celtic face they um, appropriate one of the Gleasons so one of them yeah by the way very funny alright Andy from Sayre hello Andy from Sayre how are you how long do you see yourself continuing as a musician does the current situation change anything um, that's a very good question um, I think you know when you're 16 uh, when we st- you know when you start the band um the initial the initial idea was that we would just make a demo and make an album and on you were looking at bands like Rodding Christ or Varathron or Beherit or whatever it was and you were going oh god it would be amazing to make a record like those bands you didn't think in terms of a career and then as that rolled on into your 20s and into your 30s about maybe about 15 years in you realize oh this is kind of like a career Okay, not a career as in how your um, parents would define having a career as in something that's going to buy you a house or make you a living. But um, you don't really think about it when you're in the middle of it. Like, you know, you're kind of in that bubble of being within a band and then it becomes something that you've been in longer than you haven't. So, um, you know, Primordial is something that I've been in two thirds of my life. So it, it, it eclipsed the halfway mark several years ago. Um, and you realize that standing on a stage or being creative is something you're probably always going to have within you. But do I see myself pulling on the leathers and putting on the corpse paint when I'm 55? It's really hard to say. I mean, if there is somebody there, if there is a crowd for it, if there are people who want to see it, then it's it's possible. I don't see any reason why you can't be a, um, a fit and healthy 55-year-old who's still able to sing these songs and still able to put life and energy into them, although that may not be the case. Or you might get to 50 and go, okay, well, that's it. We got to 30 plus years, um, you know, and it quietly shuffles off. It shuffles off um, the, well, I'm not sure how to say it really. It just ceases to be slowly but surely. And you go down from playing 20, 30 shows a year, to five, to two, to three, to one, and maybe you play the odd reformation. I don't know how it goes. It's probably a better question to ask somebody in their mid-50s. But you look at bands like Destruction and Creator and all those kind of guys who are in their mid-50s and they don't see any sign of slowing. I suppose what it is is that once you've um, been bitten by that bug of being on stage and touring and and, and that's all you kind of know, not to say that oh, it's the only thing that we know, but it adds this other extra dimension to your life that makes it, as you very well know, being in Sayre worth living. Um, um, it's 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 an outlet for your creativity, but it's also an outlet for your aggression, your frustration, the mundanities of life, and deciding that that is enough is enough is a quite a big decision. Now, of course, that decision can be made by life itself. 
It can be made for because of health, because of illness, because of kids' responsibilities, or you just get sick of it. Um, you know, I spoke yesterday on Instagram with Nicholas Sundin, who I used to write with from Dark Tranquility, and he just said he just didn't like touring anymore. Um, and there are many people who get to that place where they just go, I don't really want to sit in a van anymore. I don't want to sit in airports anymore. I don't want to run on no sleep every weekend. For me, I love that. Um, but other people are made differently. So maybe um, the maybe it's not up to me how long the band goes. Maybe one of the other members goes, you know what? Um, we've had a very long run of it. Let's look back on what we've done and be proud of it and start to wind it down. But creatively it's still in you and also the thing is especially for the metal underground when you've been part of the underground since you were a young teenager starting the band at 15 16 17 30 years means you're still quite a few years most of us are in our mid 40s mid to you know 44 45 46 47 so we're not really that old so the idea that there could be 10 more years in it doesn't seem that crazy to be honest with you andy um, does the current situation change anything? Well, I mean, I said it often during the pandemic that if rules and restrictions were to stay in place and the band was not able to gig and travel, I would see, um, I wouldn't see as much point in making heavy metal because heavy metal—that's where heavy metal lives. To be honest, it doesn't live um, with me on a, you know, at the end of a screen on a square on a screen, um, making music remotely. People tuning into stream concerts from my living room. That's not heavy metal. And that's not why I got into a band. We get into bands to be in rooms with other people. As we know, Andy, from playing together in London recently, the communion uh, between the band and audience, the atmosphere in the backstage, the camaraderie, the banter, the whatever else you want to call it, that thing is essential. Even just the tour we last week with Winterfell and Dread Sovereign, people on that tour I'd not met before, um, you know, um, the sound girl Hannah, for example, and you spend more time in that week together than you do with an awful lot of your friends um, in a normal year or even some members of your, you know, you know, peripheral members of your family. And so you become fast friends. You rely on each other to solve problems. You rely on each other for lots of things. There are many, many sort of intimate gestures within a tour framework, um, say uh, the other guys in Dread Sovereign who may not have known Winterfelleth guys or you don't know somebody on a tour and you make fast friends. And you know that that moment where maybe you give them a call when you're in a city and go, hey, man, I'm in I'm in trouble, whatever. And, um, you know, where sometimes I get a call from one of the Niffelheim brothers going, ah, Blaze Bailey is in town. Can we stay on your floor? And I go, sorry, Eric. And I go, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> that's a rather <laughs> Niffelheim example. But you understand those are bonds that, you know, you've you, you can reap. You can pick up um, from a band that you haven't seen for 10 or 15 or 20 years and go, because you spent so much time with them. I mean, it may sound odd, but from Twilight of the Gods to Primordial, we spent a lot of time with bands you couldn't imagine we did, like Corpiclani, for example. We spent probably a month or two in the company of those guys. So you get to know people, you know? And I think that that's a very important human process that's deep within, you know, the making music or being in a band. The current situation changed anything. I mean, I rallied, railed against it and was frustrated and angry at the idea that I thought, and I still do believe, that um, draconian authoritarian measures um, uh, were putting art, creativity, um, culture, and everything, everything like that in that realm was put to the sword first. It was just viewed as dispensable. And I think that musicians and artists clearly saw how little they were viewed or worth um, as their sector remained 
still remains kind of unopened in this country and it was seen as um, an expensive um, moral and cultural luxury when of course the reality is, is if the reality is is that artists should define moments of culture and history but however that's a discussion that's probably on a different podcast but in the fullness of the the time of the emergency I think um, it was that moment for quite a lot of musicians to maybe take stock of the things they've done and certainly beneath the anger and frustration was um, where there were a lot of moments where you had to you know you I, I picked up all the some of the records that I'd made looked over them looked over the lyrics you know even listened to some of them <laughs> which is not something you do that often surprisingly I don't really listen to the records that often and I thought wow what a great canon of work we've made what a great body of work to be proud of um, and that was a great feeling um, and so the situation caused a pause which was a moment of reflection um, an important moment of reflection even if it wasn't needed or wanted at least not from my behalf because um, if somebody had said to me hey you have a year or two off uh, and you can take a backpack and go around South America and turn off your social media brilliant I would have known and then you go okay it comes back on this date but of course the nature of this new um, papers, please, restricted and ruled society that we've created, whereby um, what clearly once had, um, what was clearly once unprecedented, as in lockdown, is now precedented, i.e. it has precedence, and I think will be used uh, again and again. I mean, I, it remains to be seen whether I'm wrong about that, but um, art and music will be the first thing. Art, music, entertainment, whatever else, will be the first sector that just gets constantly cut every time there is a sign um, or, you know, arbitrary health and safety rules decide that um, this needs to be, you know, um, hit on the head and knocked out. We will be the first every time to go. And I think that that precedence has been set. So if it, ke- if it was to keep being reset to the point where Primordial couldn't leave Ireland, couldn't fly, I mean, wait for the climate lockdown, um, to put paid to our uh, plans for touring and festivals, we'll see how how much of a, a saber rattle that one is um, it's it's a complicated question Andy I think that um, as creative people I think you always generally have to be creative maybe it moves into different forms maybe you start to write maybe you start to make as I said acoustic music for a smaller audience maybe you want to paint maybe there's lots of other things but I think once it's within you I think it's very hard to make peace with not having an outlet for that. But it remains to be seen, Andy. But sure aren't we young bucks yet, huh? Well, indeed. Kveldulv. Kveldulv. What does that mean? Dark dark bird, dark raven. Kveldulv. Black something. I don't know. What is your thoughts on making a concept album with Primordial? Well... Some of the Primordial albums do have rough concepts. Seeing as Redemption is 10 years old, let's talk about that. There is a rough concept to Redemption, which is about the structures of faith and religion and how we deal with them, about how we deal with the idea that you might just be a cage of flesh and blood um, on a rock hurtling through infinite space by chance. And the true despair of that understanding um, is such an existential crisis out of which we have created, um, you know, religions, deities. We've moved from, you know, zoomorphic 
ideals to, I suppose, the sort of singular God theory that we have now, the omnipresent creator, the primogenitor, whatever you want to call it. Um, all of these myths, folklore and mythologies that we've created over the thousands of years to try and make sense of that um, stark reality that we could just be here purely by chance hurtling on a rock through space. Um, and that, wow, how did I get there so quick? Um, the point being that redemption, for example, is a rough concept album about religion, about faith, about dealing with the structures of mortality, about how we deal with the fact that we have to shuffle off this mortal coil and what will remain of us, etc. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are rough concept albums. If you mean an operation style mind crime or uh, an operation mind crime style um, compilation or compilation uh, concept album, then I'm not sure about that. That requires the, the idea of, I mean, it's one thing you'll notice within Primordial. Um, there's very few first person narratives. Um, there are, I don't create characters that speak to each other. Um, for example, you'll confine this in King Diamond Them or something, but more beautifully and poetically, you'll find it in Nick Cave or Leonard Cohen um, or Tom Waits, for example. The idea that in three or four minutes, they've created a character, a scenario, a setting, a conversation. This is a this is a, a very very remote skill, and I think it's um, one of the hardest skills to replicate, especially in metal where the music is so kind of dynamic and loud and noisy. Often, to try and recreate a conversation between characters in a story framework within the movement, is something I very rarely touched, and I think it's a skill I probably don't have, which is what makes, for example. Um, if you take Red Right Hand or something like, take a Nick Cave lyric and look at how he explores in four or five or six minutes um, the relationship between two characters and you're in. You're in the story. You're you're right in there and he takes you right in from the first few lines. This is a this is a very, very difficult skill, I think, as a lyric writer. And I don't know if there's any real metal bands who've really tried to handle that. Um, and so I'm not sure if I could, you know, I mean, in Queensryche, you have some of the characters speak to each other, Crimson Idol, maybe. Um, I don't think they're artistically on the same level as a Nick Cave, for example, or Leonard Cohen. But you can see that, um, you know, for example, I, I mean, it's the benchmark by which most concept albums are made, um, Operation Mindcrime, that it is so intelligently put together and um, that the different characters speak to each other. So, um it's a very big undertaking, that. And you want to be completely prepared and organized and have a very, very rehearsed and tight concept, uh, which generally isn't really primordial. We're not really, we're not really the most over-rehearsed band who have everything worked out to a T. That's sort of not the Irish style, not really our style. So... There's loose concepts. There is loose concepts. You just sort of have to try and follow the 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 the, the train or the sort of we say the, the line of thought running through them. Um, so yes and no. S. Ragnarsson. Maybe let's speak about science fiction. Yeah, science fiction, of course. Old movies and books. I must admit, and I'll say it sort of straight out. I'm not a movie. I'm not a movie person. I am and I am not in that I like, I enjoy going to the movies and I have some, you know, things that I liked. Um, 
I mean, if you, you know, asked me when my 20s, I would have said, oh, Jim Jarmusch is my favorite director and I like this movie and that movie. But I'm not a I'm not a movie guy. I have friends who would sit and watch the same movie four, five, six times. It's what they want to put on at parties and sit and drink beer and quote the dialogue. This is not me. If that's going to happen, I'll ruin it party by speaking over it or whatever. It's not my <laughs> or uh, music is my thing. Not so much movies, really. I mean, obviously, I play in a band, uh, Metal Salvage, with some of the Gamma Bomb lads. And knowing all of those guys, they seem to be able to speak to each other in the dialogue of B and C movies from the 1980s that I actually have never even heard. Or never, never even heard. See if I've done it there. Sorry, Freud. Um, I've never even seen. Um, even though they were out when I was a teenager that I'm standing there listening to go what are you guys talking about and they're going oh it's dialogue from Romancing the Stone or Big Trouble in Little China for example I don't know I've never seen those movies um, they're just not part of my childhood I suppose um, which seemed to have been much more about reading books so when it comes to all science fiction of course we're only just discussing Dune Frank Herbert went to see um, the movie of Doom, Dune uh, which I thought was sort of horribly simplistic um, dialogue written for 13-year-olds, horrible, simpering teenage actors, um, and a sort of very predictable, predictably sort of odd, woke ethic to it, which maybe wasn't supposed to be there, I don't know, and I read into it. Maybe not, maybe I was just a bit cranky that day, which is also possible. It looked amazing, I'll give it that. Um, but missed a bit of the sort of crazy steampunk um, idealism of the original Dune, which... I remember reading as a teenager. It's also ditched some of the complexities. And um, is there still a screenwriter strike at Hollywood? What happened to that? That was talked about so many years ago. Because for sure, every big movie I see these days has dreadful dialogue and it would seem dreadful acting. Um, but do they choose actors now based on how big their Instagram reach is? Because that's a handy promotional tool. I mean... That is um, something that happens throughout the rest of uh, the entertainment or creative industry. I mean, bands are signed if they have 100,000. I mean, a band who has a, let's call it, an influencer within their ranks through maybe for some other things, maybe it's through keeping fit or whatever else. If you have a band who've sold no records and they have one guy in, or one girl in the band who, sell, who has 100,000 followers on Instagram, you'll be signed because that's a ready-made promotional tool of 100,000 followers. So is it the same in movies? I don't know. Does the simpering, annoying guy who acts as the main character in Dune, who I don't know the name of, who seems to be in everything, uh, who clearly can't act, does he have four million followers? Is that how? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, who cares? I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'm not a movie, movie guy. But when we talk about books, then yeah, of course, you know, I mean, your Isaac Asimov's, uh, Robert Heinlein, Frank Herbert, um, Philip K. Dick, of course, all of these books. Thankfully, I, I'm quite thankful to my father for having a huge library of these small science fiction novellas, whatever you want to call them, like, you know, 100, 100 to 200 pages. And I must have read over 100 of them easily when I was a teenager. All the Philip K. Dicks, everything just ran through his entire library. Um, and... That's what that that had a deeper resonance for me when I was a kid um, than than the movies, I guess. So maybe I should do a podcast about old science fiction. Um, yeah, it's a good point, Mr. Ragnar son, son of Ragnar. Neil Avalon, Avalon. 
Can you see festivals going ahead next year, given health experts advise that vaccines wane over time? Well, this will be the last question for part one of this Instagram question um, podcast, I guess. And it's a pretty big question. It's something I've addressed in previous podcasts. Um, it's a very complicated question. Really, really, it is. It's um, and it's it's got so many levels to it. I, I, I can see open air festivals being more likely to take place than indoor festivals if if the vaccination leverage if the fear mongering is ramped up about new variants of this that and the other etc you know look by now if you've been listening to the podcast you'll know my views on um you know what's happened about a lot of things and the sort of if it bleeds it leads um idea that the mainstream media have been pushing a certain narrative to keep people afraid blah 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 amongst other things but the idea that um, indoor entertainment, as I said, like 15 minutes ago, or indoor art or whatever you want to call it, those spaces where people are social with each other will be the first to be cut every time there is some reason for um, state tech pharma to decide that that is so. They will be the first things to go every time. Um, and so the idea that a new variant could cancel indoor live music again next month March you know from January February March April is quite possible because of course you've got flu season you've got a whole different raft of um of um worries within that um winter um illness season it's very possible open air next summer of course is a different set of rules because, well, it's open air and even the WHO have said that outside transmissibility is almost negligible. Um, hence why the, the reality of seeing people walking around the streets of Ireland in lashing rain and wind with their masks on at midnight. It just doesn't make any sense, really, does it? Um, that's a different argument, though. But outside transmissibility, etc., I think outdoor festivals um, are probably more likely to happen fundamentally even though they have more people because I suppose it's just the optics of it people being outside I also think to be honest Neil um, it's going to depend from country to country we've seen clearly that a Europe-wide response to what's happening has been a bit of a joke um, that every country is moving at different speeds different arbitrary rules different restrictions there's different people in charge who have different agendas some are more in hock to Big Pharma than others, it would seem. Some are more delighted to impose authoritarian um, ideals um, and structures. I'm looking at you, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Scotland, etc. Um, some aren't. I'm looking at you, Eastern Europe, who know what authoritarianism is quite clearly because they have had it in living memory. And the people there are not going to put up with the same things that seem to fly in Anglosphere, shall we say, slightly pampered countries that have a broader um, middle class acquiescence to such things. But that's, of course, a different question. I know you've got to use the word acquiescence. Maybe I used it in the wrong context there. Um, but given health experts advice, I mean, yeah, vaccines wane over time. I mean, Again, this is this is the thing. Is this the reality? Is that whatever way you view the virus or vaccines or anything these kind of things, it's going to be have to be something that society lives with, or learns to live with, or just accepts 
that this is part of life and that it's endemic, I think, is the is the phrase, and that it's just something that we have. I mean, 20 to 40,000 people, I think, in the UK, I think, died of flu every year naturally or normally anyway. So um, and die from many, many other things. There's an envelope of death, whatever it is, um, you know, several millions every year on the earth. And that doesn't change. So living with that. But then again, that requires a certain dismantling of the structures that we've put in place around it. And I'm not so sure, as I said, that state tech and pharma are willing to give up what has seen in the last 21 or 22 months, the greatest transfer of wealth and power, realistically, in the history of mankind, if I'm not to, um, well, that's a rather uh, over the top uh, statement, but certainly a massive uh, transfer of wealth and power has accrued. And why would the people who are at the receiving end of that wish it to stop? Certainly not. So you can have a gig or two, right? That's my cynical opinion. Um, and that was my cynical opinion from day one, and which has been sort of borne out by the situation that we are in, I would say, to a greater percentage. Of course, there's some things that I, you know, overshot the mark with my pessimism. Um, but do we just enter a cycle like you can see in Israel now where they're going boosters, 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 jabs? I mean, realistically, it's a, it's a health tax created on the world that can be, um, I suppose, theoretically enforced at any time and will. So... Neil Avalon, the answer is very complicated, very, very complicated. It remains to be seen whether this just fades into the rearview mirror and people are allowed to continue on with their with their everyday lives, with um, the normal lives they had before, with their civil liberties, freedoms um, that are their inalienable right, i.e., as you say, the pursuit of um, art, creativity, travel, the um, I suppose the economies of life itself, etc., etc., etc. Complicated, Neil. Complicated. Could all be knocked on the head. Um, and there, are, I don't think there's anything really the arts or musician sector can really do about it. We've seen quite easily that we're dispensable. Anyway, complicated, complicated. And lastly, but very much leastly. Eva in the horrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's a tracker mortgage? Well, as I understand it, a tracker mortgage is a home loan uh, one would get or one got where your interest rate is linked to the uh, to you to what's happening in the rest of Europe, the European Central Bank rate of interest. Um, and it has a sort of margin on either side for the bank that issued it. And so, therefore, the borrowers get, um, how can I explain, the benefit of rates that are typically low if that's what's low in the rest of Europe. I don't really know how this affects your decision-making in Ireland because it would seem that our um, interest rates for loans, for uh, for home loans, were exorbitant and almost reached 100% during the boom, didn't they? How that affects a track of mortgage? I don't know. Ha, ha, ha. Funny question. There's your answer. It's a it's a mortgage loan that's fixed to um, the European, I would, don't know what you would call it, the mean average rate of loans. I don't know how that affects um, your rate within your own um, home country or your own European member state. 
Uh, and I have no clue because I am one of those people who will never, ever be able to afford a house. And neither should you. Besides which, aren't all your houses now owned by um, Chinese investment firms? Indeed. Right. That's been Agitators Anonymous. It's a strange ramble across a bunch of different questions. There will be a part two of this because there's a whole bunch of other great questions that I have to answer, um, such as, am I a secret Marxist? Um, And so hold on to your seats. Hold on to your hats for that answer in the next episode, my friends. Agitators Anonymous, follow me on the Instagram, Nemtiang underscore primordial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Over and out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.